0: We find ourselves today at the end of our sermon series. A sermon series we started a number of weeks back, actually on Labor Day, believe it or not. And we spent a number of weeks going through this journey towards understanding what does it mean to do life with God. And what we've discovered is what that means is to reach a point where we see God as our greatest treasure in our life. And that being the basis of the relationship that we have with him so that we don't have a relationship with God that is based upon things we get from him, like he's a cosmic vending machine. We don't have a relationship with him that's about things we do for him as though he's a taskmaster, or like we're under his thumb so we need to obey him because we're fearful of his wrath, or or a relationship based upon things that we can do to put ourselves over God as though the Bible and his teachings are just a divine playbook for us to run with our lives apart from him. No, we've been talking rather about how we need to individually respond to the gracious invitation that he's extended to each person and that our relationship with him as we respond to that invitation puts us in a spot <clears throat> Excuse me, where we begin to see our life with God as him as that greatest treasure. And from that position, all of our blessings, all of our service, all of our obedience, everything that we do, all of our conduct flows from there. And if that is the foundation upon which we start, where, where our life is with God because he's our greatest treasure, it then opens the doors to even greater things, such as being able to live a life of faith because we know that something greater than ourselves is walking with us and is planned for us and protecting and providing for us. It opens the doors to a life of hope because we can believe in the promises. We can know that God is faithful and he is with us. And just over the bend during times of trial, there is a better future that is there for us. And as we learned last week, it could open the doors to a life with love, which just flows from the very nature and central of who God is. Now much of this journey, we've been talking kind of around these ideas and we've been describing different ways that we do and, and preferably should not be relating to God in our relationship with him. And I wanted to make sure we also had some practical application as we went along. And so we intentionally inserted three messages along the way, if you recall, these, these three different callings that we referred them as, to help us understand each step along the way. What does it look like to go forth and actually do that then? Remember back on week two, we introduced the first one, which is our highest calling. Our highest calling, which is that our life with God is established by entering into a relationship with the Father through the work of the Son, Jesus Christ. If you missed that one or need a refresher, you can go back to our website at westmeadows.org and you can listen to week two of the series where we talked about our highest calling. Then on week seven, we talked about our common calling where everybody who has entered into that highest calling, everyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ can open Scripture and see the, these common instructions, these commands, the, the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount, all of Paul's like, like one another passages we find in there that guide us and all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ have this common calling to then go forth and obey and follow and serve and trust him as we live our lives out as believers in Jesus. Now today we want to end this series by talking about the third calling. Which we refer to as our specific calling. Now when you first heard that word "calling back on week two, a lot of us would have all you thought, well, my calling is defined in a certain way. And quite often when we hear that word "calling, the definition that immediately comes to mind is, well, it's the answer to the question, "What did God create me to do?" And however, I answer that question is going to be my calling. And quite often, how we answer that question leads to the way that I have uh, spend my time at work or my volunteer time or, or what I do at home, my role and place there. Really, anything that requires our time and energy but also gives us meaning and purpose is how we typically understand calling. And today, that's actually not too far from the definition and understanding of our specific calling that we want to talk about. But it is critical that we do actually understand how to define and use the word calling if we're going to apply it properly to our lives and to the world around us. See, traditionally in Christian circles, when we talk about the word calling, the first thing that would come to our mind as well is this idea that people are called to ministry. And then we would apply that to like pastors and missionaries. For example, last Sunday, uh, a lot of you will know Pastor Tony who is the pastor of uh, the West Edmonton Christian Chinese Church (WECCC)? And they meet here in this building in the afternoon. And uh, last Sunday we had an ordinate—I can't even say the word—ordination service for Tony. And that was an opportunity for his congregation to gather around him, come together to celebrate uh, God's calling upon his life. For leaders to pray over him and bless him, and to and to recognize that this person, Pastor Tony, it's a collective congregational recognition of his vocational ministry, his call to be a pastor. So sometimes that's what we think if we heard the word calling, a call to ministry. But now not everybody is going to be called to vocational ministry. Not everyone's gonna be called to be a pastor or a missionary. There are some people who are quietly in their mind at this point saying hallelujah, because they don't wanna be called to be a pastor or a missionary. And that's okay, because other people have lives that are outside of the church professionally and are called to other areas where they dedicate their lives. Teachers, mechanics, homemakers, students, administrators, managers, waitresses, contractors, all these other responsibilities and places that we vocationally spend our lives and our time. And often, when we look at our lives in that regard, and we think, well, I've got my work and I've got my family, my leisure. When we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we then find ourselves in a spot of going, well, I need to somehow fit into that worship time, or going to church on Sunday. I need to somehow fit into that finding a life group or, or volunteering in my church and what they're trying to do in the community around me. And when we have an idea of our, of our life in the world here, and then these things we're trying to fit in that have to do with the church, one of the effects is that people can live like they're living two divided lives. They can feel like, well, I have my life in the world, which is work and leisure and Monday to Saturday, and we'll call that my, my, my secular life. And then I have my life at church on Sunday. I have my life when I can make it to my small group and we refer to that as my, my sacred life. And when this sort of reality exists in a person, it creates tension within them because they're constantly battling with this question of, well, what does it look like for me in my life to be a follower of Jesus Christ? What does that look like when there's this tension that exists? And it makes people feel like they have a secular life that they have to do. Because I have to make money to put food on the table. I have purpose. I I need to, to, to find these purposes in my life. But then also feels like they have a responsibility to add on the sacred. And so this dichotomy exists. This tension exists between the sacred and the secular world in people's lives. Now this isn't new. Actually, for for generations and generations, people have lived in this reality of their lives and their work is divided into the sacred and the secular realms. Actually, if you go back centuries, the word vocation itself literally meant calling. But not just any calling, it literally meant calling only applied to bishops, priests, and monks. People who had an office within the church had a calling of God. Everybody else simply had a job to do. And when that's the mindset that exists within a culture, you can see how this divide between the sacred and secular can start to emerge. So much so that that a a guy by the name of Eusebius, who was a 4th century bishop in Caesarea, said that there are two ways of life that were established by Jesus Christ. In one of his writings, he, he said there's two ways that Jesus has established life. There is the perfect life, and then there is the permitted life. And here's how he defined them. He said, there are those who are called to the perfect life. And this is the people that have God's calling upon their lives to be in the clergy. And they have the perfect life because they spend all of their hours focused upon prayer and worship and serving Jesus through the church. But that wasn't everybody. And so he had to account for everybody else who wasn't involved in the perfect life. And he says, but the rest of you have a permitted life. It's permitted, it's, it's secondary, it's very necessary, it's not evil, but it certainly doesn't carry the same level of dignity and blessing as those in the perfect life would have. And this is people like farmers and artists and merchants and homemakers and soldiers, very necessary, but by no means the same dignity and blessing as those in the perfect life. In fact, he went as far as to say that if you have this permitted life, the best thing you can do in your permitted life is you can go out and make some money and you can take that money and you can give it to those who are in the perfect life and therefore redeem your permitted life a little bit more. That's the mindset that used to exist within the church. That was the case for centuries until the 16th century, at the time of the uh, Protestant Reformation, where people like Luther and Calvin and many others started to call Christians back to focusing upon the Scriptures and to away from sort of the traditions that had guided their lives and said, no, guys, we can, we can come together and read the Scriptures for ourselves. And as people began to read the Bible and, and started to discuss it amongst themselves, new ideas and new concepts that they had never thought of and never read before started to emerge to the surface. For example, this concept of the priesthood of all believers, this idea that everybody who is a follower of Jesus Christ, everybody who has made that personal confession that Jesus Christ died for their sins and they've entered into a relationship with him, all of those people have direct access to God. Well, once this idea the priesthood of believers exists, it starts to draw into question this theology of vocation that had historically told them only priests have sacred lives because only the priest has that direct relationship to God. Well, if the priesthood of believers is a reality, then that starts to call into question, is it only the priests that have a sacred, perfect life? Add on to that various writings of Paul that started to... Looked at as well and in, in, in Ephesians 4 and 1 Thessalonians 4, and, and one we're going to look at here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul is addressing all believers in all the churches in regards to their work. And, and he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 17. He says, Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, into which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Paul wrote this in response to a question that he was trying to address. The question that he was facing is this. People within this city of Corinth had a life, a certain vocation, and then they encountered the good news of Jesus that he died for their sins and that they could be forgiven and brought into a relationship with God. But then it raised this question of, well, what do I do with my secular life? Does that, I'd have to change that? Do I need to leave it? Do I need to find something else? And Paul's answer is is this. He says, just because you're a follower doesn't mean you have to leave your secular life for the sacred life. In fact, as he continues throughout this through verse 18 through 23, which you can read um, afterwards in more detail. He says, I want you to continue in that life. I want you to continue with contentment in that life, seeing it not as the sacred and secular, but I want you to continue in it and begin to see it as a sacred calling that you have upon you. And he goes on to talk about regardless of your background, regardless of your social or your economic station, at the time that you became a follower of Jesus Christ, you can now come to see that part of your calling, part of God's redemption of your life is this divine appointment to place you where he needs you. He's not saying you're stuck. He's not saying you have to stay there. If you can better yourself and move on, by all means, go for it. But the point he's trying to make is in your situation, where you find yourself living, working, playing, there is divine providence over that. Because God needs students who know him. So that they can go to their schools and have a positive influence upon those that they go to school with. So that they can influence those people and say, hey, you know what social media says your life should be like? You know what the world and culture says it should be like? I want to tell you there's a better way with Jesus. We need students who know him. We need mechanics who love Jesus. Because we need them to fix our cars. We need them to have friendships with other mechanics. But isn't it awesome to have a mechanic you can trust? That's a huge blessing to people. Homemakers. Thank you, dear. Homemakers who follow Jesus so they can create these safe environments where they can train and raise up and care for the next generation. He needs seniors who serve him so they can mentor the younger generation. They can offer hope and love to those who are going through different times during the later seasons of life. You see, whatever situation you find yourself currently in, we have the opportunity to see it as a place where we can live for and reveal Jesus. As a follower of Jesus Christ, there truly is no division between the sacred and the secular for which we have to be ruled by except for what we create on our own. You see, because according to God's divine plan, according to his purposes for our lives, all of us have a specific and sacred calling to bloom wherever God has planted us. We have a calling to bloom wherever God has planted us. So where has God planted you? As you answer that question, what would it look like to bloom where he's planted you? And the next question that you probably find yourself looking at is, well, how in the world would I ever find out or fulfill that once I answer those questions? Well, there's two things I want to share with you in response to that. The first one is this, is that if we are to discover and have success in that specific calling, it requires us to first engage in our highest calling. That was week two. And that means that we need to be living this vibrant, continuing communion with the Father through the work of Jesus Christ. But that's not just about getting on God's team. It's not just about that. It's also about tapping into the illuminating power of God that comes to work within our lives. Remember, before Jesus went to the cross, before he he gave his life, when he was meeting with his disciples on that evening, and they knew he was about to go, he he said this to them in, in John 14. He said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So you can search the world for opportunities. You can even open the scriptures and search the words of those pages, your common calling for answers to the questions about where God's planted you and for what purposes. Those are good things to do. Those are necessary things to do. But without the presence of the Holy Spirit within you, without the helper that God has given to us to help illuminate those things, we will not see anything more than the rest of the world does. Because even those who are living apart from God can do those things. It's only through the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit that we can start to see things a little differently. Because the Holy Spirit isn't just given to us for for comfort and, and for conviction. It's also given to us for counsel, to have this illuminating role in our lives so that we can discover what God's specific calling for us is. Therefore, before we ask the question, what is my specific calling in life, we have to first ask, have I engaged with my highest calling? And if we can say yes to that question, then the power of the Holy Spirit dwells within you. The power of the Holy Spirit is with you. And you then simply need to be looking around for opportunities, being ready, and when you find one, to take that step of faith. Because that's the other trick. You see, you've heard it said, as I've heard it said, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make that horse drink. You see, the Holy Spirit can lead you to these specific callings, but only you can take that step of faith in those moments. As I look back upon my own journey, there are moments as I look back, and they always say hindsight's 20-20, but as I look back, I wonder at times, what could have been? These times when I sense that the Spirit was leading me and guiding me, but I didn't move, I didn't talk, I, I just kind of stood still, frozen. Maybe because I was more concerned about my will, or or maybe fear or pride or doubt got the best of me in the moment, and so I just froze. And now I'm left looking back, and I wonder what could have been if I had taken that step of faith, if I, if I had spoken that word in that moment. You know, I was... I was called to the ministry when I was 17, and not for a moment of any day from that moment to this very moment I stand before you have I doubted it, but I certainly have resisted it on a number of occasions. You see, there was a time when I was thinking, well, no, this is contrary to my will, and so I went my own way. There are times when I thought, well, pride, I thought, well, what would people think if I, if I went that direction, if, if that was my status in life? There were times when fear ruled the day instead, and I thought, well, I'm going to lack security. I might lose face. What if I can't control the situation the way I want to? Times when I had doubt instead that said, well, what if, what if you feel like you're called, but nobody else feels like you're called? That's not going to go well. So things like my will and fear and pride and doubt ruled the day, and for 10 years in my life, they ruled the day, where I knew the whole way along what I was called to do. And I reached a point where I finally said, fine, Fine, God, I'll take that step of faith, but I have a condition. My condition is I want you to reveal the whole story to me. I want to know, know where I'm going to go. I want to know what it's going to require. I want to know what it's going to cost me. I want to know all those things before I take the first step. But, but that's not faith. Remember, we've been learning about faith over the past few weeks, and we've been saying that faith is confidence in what we hope for and it's assurance of what we do not yet see. And here's what else I've come to learn. I've come to learn that that even if I did know the end results, even if I could see all the steps involved in the path that God had in store for me, I still wouldn't have stepped out. I still wouldn't have gone. I probably would have been even more resistant to go because at step one, I was not prepared nor equipped for what he had in mind for me at step five, at step 20, or at step 100. And so as fearful and concerned I was at step one, how much more so if I knew what step 100 looked like. Looking back, I know I wouldn't have gone even if I had an answer to that question. You see, but during that time, during that time, I was encouraged and I was inspired by the stories of others who had taken those steps of faith. People who had asked the question, what is my specific calling? Where does God want me to bloom because he's going to plant me there? And they saw these opportunities and they pressed into them. And they were encouraging, inspiring, and challenging to me. And I want to share some of these stories with you today in hopes that maybe they would encourage and inspire each of you too to see that, that, that sometimes they're small and local, sometimes they're massive and global, sometimes they're somewhere in between. The point is not the size or what the end result is. The, the point is not to know every step and the end result. The, step is, the point is to take that first step of faith when we sense the Spirit is leading us to go and find ourselves to be able to bloom or even plant it. First thing I want to share with you is of a life group a life group who had been meeting in their home for a while. And as they refer to themselves as a kind of a holy huddle, they got really good at coming together and talking about themselves in this comfortable home. And they thought, you know, we got to apply what we're learning. we, we got to get beyond this. We've got we to open our circle up. And they asked themselves the question, how can I make a difference? How can we go forth and do what we are called to do? And so they look around their community. They looked at where God had planted them. And they stepped out in faith.
1: Laundry Love. uh kind of got started, I guess, around 2005. Our group had been meeting for probably six, seven months, and this Laundry Love idea came up, and I said, well, I'm just gonna throw it out to our group and
2: see what they think. We kind of talked about this a little bit. He kind of mentioned some things about this thing called Laundry Love. And I'd never heard of it before. And, and he kind of explained to us what it was all about, you know, going out. We were gonna try and find a laundromat that would allow us to come and do laundry for people.
1: We said, hey, let's just, let's just run with it. You know, this is a great idea. It's a great way to uh, love on our community, to give some of the blessing that we've received, give that back to the community as well. Basically, the uh, last Saturday of the month, we show up here, it's mainly our small group, our little community group, and uh, we bring a jar full of quarters, uh, anywhere we may spend 50 to $75, and we just kinda go through and just pay for laundry for people. No questions asked, You know, no requirement.
2: Show up and uh, we're gonna pay for your laundry. My favorite part is watching the faces on people when you ask me if you can do their laundry, and they look at you like, are you nuts? You know, Why would you do my laundry? There's always a catch. Here, there is no catch. It's, we're doing it because we want to do it. We're doing it because we like doing it. We actually, we, lo- we love meeting the people.
1: First night we were in here, we sat here for 30, 45 minutes before anybody showed up. And then all of a sudden, a lady came in and she started bringing more and more laundry in. We said, well, we've got the money, let's just help her. Before we knew it, we had done 15, 20 loads of laundry for her. And just just had a great time talking with her. Enjoyed, you know, she was talking with all of our group. and. Towards the end of the night, as she's finally finishing her drying and, and getting things wrapped up, she said, "You know, you don't know what a blessing this has been for me." She said, "I came in here and I had, I think it was 20 bucks in her wallet." She said, "I've put up laundry for the whole month just because it's it's either do laundry or feed
2: my kids." She said, "So I've been putting off laundry. Here, it's not it's not about me. It's it's about the people that walk in here on on a nightly basis on a Saturday night when we when we come and do laundry love. You know, all of a sudden, you know." I'm, you know, I'm not thinking about my world anymore, you know, what what my problems are, you know. It's all, it's, it's it's focused on them. You know, we may have five
1: people in here that we help. We may have every washer and dryer full. And uh, either way, we come out of here, I just come out of here just overjoyed with just being able to help people and uh,
2: show them some compassion and love. When it came to our, our small group situation, you know, we're actually practicing what we're either being preached or what we preach. In a lot of cases, that's 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 a rarity, you know? I mean, you can do it once, you can do it twice in, in a year. We do it, you know, 12 times a year. People in our group
1: have come to realize that we are called to share love and to go out into the world. It's not that we're gonna get together in our holy huddle in our living room and, and meet every week. So it's just great that the, the people in our community group have, you know, caught that vision as well. Uh, that they want to be out reaching the people and caring for their needs, and that's kind of where Laundry Love came from. There's nothing wrong with that.
0: What love spreading difference can we make in a community? What love spreading difference can we make in the community around us in which we are situated? That's another way of asking that question how can we bloom where God has planted us? I want to share another story with you. The story of a, a couple by the name of Richard and Terry Greenlee. These people own a business that specializes in well drilling and pumping in the oil industry. Well, Richard goes to work one day, average day, meeting with a customer who comes in and shares with them. He's just returned from a missions trip. And Richard, who's a, a Christian fellow, says, man, I would so love to go on a missions trip one day. And so his customer says to him, says, well, let's do it. Three months, I'm going to China, come with me. And and so Richard actually agrees to go on this trip. Comes back from this trip with a heart changed. As he saw the difference that these types of trips can make in lives. And he started wondering, you know, what can I do? What difference can I make with what God has blessed me and gifted me with? An opportunity for another trip comes up. This time he goes to Zambia. And when he gets to Zambia, he finds that there's a severe issue with water, with clean, drinkable water. But not only with access to water, but also with their ability to actually drill wells. And the only thing they have in this, available at the time is these giant trucks that would come in, drill these big holes, install a well, and then they would have water for a bit As The truck would leave and move on to the next place. But soon that, that complex well would break, and there was nobody left in the village who could fix it. And so this resource that they had tapped into suddenly was right below the surface, but they weren't able to get it. And so he went back home, and he thought, this is right down my alley. So he called up a friend from high school who was an engineer and an inventor. And he gave him this challenge. He says, you and I have to do this. We have to find a simple design for a water pump. It has to be simple enough to be operated by a child. It has to be built out of local materials that are native to the region that's going to be installed. And we have to make it for less than $50. The guy didn't hang up on him. Instead, he went to work. Three months later, they had a design in a prototype that had the potential to change the lives of one in ten people who lack clean water in this world. And they went around and started to distribute these and started to install them. And over the last five years, they've installed these water pumps in over 31 countries and have given clean water to over a million people who didn't have it before. And it completely changed the lives of these individuals.
2: Okay oh!
0: to these people. Here's what else they learned. They learned that we can give them businesses so they can have a means of income and they can bring and look after these things themselves. They repair themselves when they break down. But they learned that they can train them. But they also can only make them successful, but they also had problems with addictions and marriages and they realized that, that we can give them water, but if their hearts don't change, if they aren't discipled, then they eventually become prodigal sons. And so this water actually opened the floodgates for them to have a driving mission to provide water, but also to teach people about Jesus Christ and to change those hearts. Now, as amazing as this story is, as far-reaching as this story is, I don't want you to, to, to lose sight and separate yourself from it because it's on a global scale and it's a million people. How could I be part of that? I want you to pay attention to this. How did the story start? He went to work one day. He just went to work one day and met with a customer that was on his schedule. And when the opportunity came up, when the question was presented, he took a step of faith. Don't worry about the end result at step one. He had no idea he would bring water to a million people when he met with that customer in his office. He was worried about, I want to go on this mission trip. I feel led to do this. I feel led to take this step of faith. And let God take care of the rest as you walk as the Spirit guides So these stories, whether they are local or global or large or small, there's stories around all of us here as well, within this church, within the walls and the people that exist here. There are people here at West Meadows who are blooming where God has planted them. There's people who are serving on community clubs and leagues and and helping to push through shared concerns for community development. There's people who spend time in in after-school programs with kids that come from rough homes, don't have safe environments, and they come and sit with them, and they they play games with them, and and they share their lives with them, and share God's love with them. There are those who volunteer with homeless people who just walk by the property on occasion, invite them in for food, for coffee, for conversation, to show just a bit of interest in these people who otherwise are the outcasts of society. There's people in our congregation who own companies, and, and through good times and through bad times, they live their faith out in front of their employees. And, and they don't sugarcoat it. They don't put on these masks and make it all great. They, they say, hey, we're going to provide for your needs. We have responsibility to you, but that responsibility goes beyond a paycheck. We have responsibility to live our lives of, of faith and hope out before you as well. There's people who are involved with neighborhood connections, uh, seniors who help each other plant gardens and share meals and share their lives and have coffee together, and we'll just sit and go through a photo album with somebody and have that conversation there's groups that gather supplies and supports to provide uh, to provide assistance to young families and moms who are in crisis with with a new child on the way we have an angel tree remember the angel tree program from last year it's coming back this year as we help to provide a, a gift and some help to to the children of people who are imprisoned there is all sorts of things that are happening within our own walls this is we we are not Isolated from these stories, we are part of these great stories. And whether they are large stories or small stories, local or global, I believe that heaven smiles down upon these things when we go forth as spirit-led and take those steps of faith and reveal the truth and the love of God. These are examples of people who are stepping out in faith, who are responding to that sacred calling where they work, live, and play. They're answering the question, how can I bloom where God has divinely planted me? Now, some of you might find that language a little awkward. But I intentionally use that idea of where have you been planted where you can bloom on purpose. Because if we look at the theological basis for this statement, it actually goes all the way back to God's original design. It goes back to his original creation in the Garden of Eden. You see, where God planted humanity to fulfill their specific calling as his representatives. And as I wrap up here today, here's what I mean by this. In Genesis 1, verse 26-27, it says, Let us make mankind in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over all the fish of the sea and over all the birds of the heavens and over all the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creeping things that creep upon the earth. So God created in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You no know, other religions will have creation stories where, where people are servants or slaves or annoyances to the gods. Naturalistic evolution says that people are an accident of nature. And that's the history and the roots. This passage says something different. Because all of those answers to origin affect how we define our identity and our purpose in life. And here it says that we are created in the image of God. And as image bearers, we are to rule over his creation, meaning we have work to do as his representatives wherever he has planted us. When we talk about being an image bearer, we're not talking about physical representations. We're talking about people who reveal his character and his will to those around us. Things like righteousness and holiness and knowledge and love for all. When we talk about ruling, this is that that work aspect where we are more accurately divine stewards. Because God didn't turn over ownership of creation or of this world, but he placed it into our hands to care for. And part of that care is to, do our part to help bring about the full potential of what is around us and give it opportunity to realize what God has in store for it so that it can turn praise back to him. And that includes sharing his redeeming love and work of Jesus Christ as people enter into relationship with him as well, as they find their own life with God. You see, your identity and your value is as an image bearer of God. And he has planted you in a garden to be that image bearer He's planted you in a garden somewhere, whatever that work, home, or play is, so that you can bloom as his representative. Over these past weeks, we've been talking a bit about a a theologian and author named Sky Jatani. And there's a story that we'll close here with today of when he was going through his training and he spent time as a student chaplain at a hospital. And, And the person who was teaching him shared this concept with him, that you are a representative to bloom where God has planted you. He's told that as he walked down the hallway of the hospital to go to the room where he was about to walk through that door and minister to a person who who was ill, who maybe was near death to the family who had just lost a loved one, that as he walked up to that door, he would put his hand on the knob, he would stop, and he would say the words, In this room, I represent the presence of God. He would then open the door and walk in. It's a challenge I want to give to each of you here today. That regardless of what doors you walk through in these days ahead, whether it be the door that goes into that foyer, the door to your house, the door to your work, the door to a place where you, where you play. As you put your hand on that, on that door, as you put your hand on the knob to that door, stop and think for a second. As I enter this room, I am an image bearer of God. I am his representative with work to do. I am planted in this place for a purpose. The Holy Spirit is with me. God has ordained this opportunity, and as I walk through this door, I have the opportunity to represent God's presence in this place and to the people who are in here. I can promise you two things will happen. Number one, if you walk into that room with that mindset, it will change your conduct. You will watch what you say, and you will watch what you do as you walk into that room. And you will try to make sure you represent him well. But secondly, as you walk through that door, you will trust that the Spirit has gone with you and that he will help you to take those steps of faith should they present themselves. And if we do that, then in our own lives and the lives of those that we encounter within that room, we will see the great things that God can do as we bloom where he's planted us. I invite you to, close, to join me in a closing word of prayer. Heavenly Father. We know that we are all called here, not not by accident, that not only only the pastors of this church are called, but each person who is here today uh, was called to this place, be part of this body, to join in supporting and encouraging and in volunteering and equipping the work that you would have us to do within those who are here, but also within the community around us. God, each of us is also called to a different place, a home, a business, a school, Even those of us this week, Lord, who will walk into different meetings and, and appointments, whether they be business, professional, medical, whatever they may be, Lord, we go into those things understanding that we are image bearers of you, that you created us to be your church, to be those who will be ambassadors of your love, truth, and grace, those who will go forth and reveal that life is better with Jesus than anything else that people are practicing or inquiring about, that that is the answer to that question. God, help us to have eyes to see. Help us to have ears to hear the spirit prompting us in those moments. And I pray, God, we would have the courage to take those steps of faith. That we would not only see you work powerfully in our lives, but also through us. As you do amazing things in the lives of those who you love, of who you died for, and of who you long to do life with. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Well, as we conclude our service here today in this series, I pray that you would go with eyes to see and ears to hear what God has in store for you and those around you. Don't forget to sign up to uh, help us out, to take that step and help us out with the community league and also to, um, uh, to see where God can reveal things to you in this coming week. If you need to pray about anything, we have prayer teams at the front here. We invite you to join us there. Otherwise, we'll see you next week on the first Sunday at Advent.